Welcome to the Perfectly Flawed podcast. On this podcast, I am your host, Renee Fox, and I chat to various people who are willing to be open and vulnerable about their own experiences with mental health and sport. Please keep in mind that the things discussed on this podcast are people's own experiences and is not medical advice. If anything in these episodes is triggering for you or you feel like you need assistance, please contact a health professional or Lifeline on 13 11 14. Hi guys and welcome back to another episode of the Perfectly Flawed podcast. In this episode, I am joined by Taylor Lumley. Taylor is an elite swimmer who is able to balance her training with uni and a social life. She is so bubbly, kind and warm. She shares her experiences in swimming and how she has learned to be aware of what she needs both mentally and physically. Taylor is able to articulate the impact sport and social media have so well. She is able to share so many great messages that she has learned along her sporting journey. It's been such a pleasure chatting with her and I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Perfectly Flawed podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. For those that don't know you, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah. Hi, I'm Taylor. Um, I'm a swimmer in Brizzy and I've been asked onto this podcast by the lovely Renee. Awesome. Um, So you are based in Brisbane and you're a swimmer. Um, What made you fall in love with swimming? Um, It's actually funny. I was tossing up between swimming and netball for so long like I I really um was in love with the both of them I think swimming had my heart a little bit more and being kind of like average age is a lot younger than the average netballer's age when you're successful so I kind of like was like I'll go into swimming and by the end it did have my heart a bit more so I chose to swim full-time at the start of grade 11 um and yeah I just love it yeah fair enough um I was swimming myself so I know what it's like to fall in love with the water I know like swimming is a pretty tough sport and I think people outside of it can underestimate it about how hard it can be and how hard the training can be how is it like for you how do you find a hard session um well I love I'm a trainer more than a racer they say you can usually be one or the other and I love training it's just it's like my zen time and I find that like if I'm putting myself in that um, in the way of hurt and in the way of pain, I'm actually enjoying it more. Um, it definitely still means I feel it. <laughs> definitely still painful, but um, pushing through those hard sessions, I just kind of think of the reward that like how, how good I'm going to feel when I finish the session, when I put this into a race plan. Um, yeah. Like I just kind of power through with little ma- mantras, I guess, for that regard. That's awesome. It's so interesting that you say you're more of a trainer because I haven't come across many people that say that. I feel like everyone's like, oh, I'm just in it for the racing. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, definitely rarer to be more of a trainer, but I don't know. It's just the way I'm wired. It's like my therapy, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. So you said like you have a few mantras that get you through. What are some of those? So it really depends on the session. Um, When I'm training and it's speed I'm you know I'm thinking about my rate I'm very rate based as a breaststroker um and I've just got I sometimes 
I kind of listen to songs in my head <laughs> to like kind of get the tempo going. But in terms of mantras, it's just, you know, the classics like just keep going, keep pushing like one more. It's always one more. If you think about the next one, you don't think about the 12 you've got after it. You just get through the one and then the next one and the next one. I find that that helps to kind of break down the session a bit. Yeah, I'm definitely the same. Like breaking it into smaller chunks makes it a lot more bearable for sure. Yeah. Um, How do you go? Like, obviously you said like training is where your passion is, I guess. Um, how do you go leading into a race? Do you ever get nervous and how do you go about those nerves? I think nerves are pretty normal. Like I'm pretty sure everyone would have nerves uh, leading into the race. I usually don't get super nervous right until I'm behind the blocks and that's when I'm kind of like, oh, I'm a bit shaky or like I can really feel it in my stomach. Um, I honestly the best way for me to combat nerves is to not think about them and I just kind of accept that they're there and I don't go oh shit I'm so nervous like oh no um I just kind of let them be let them let myself feel them and then when I get on the blocks it really helps to channel my nerves into my race and allow that little bit of adrenaline to kick in and help me swim fast what you said there about accepting them that yep they're there I'm aware of them but not really like giving too much fuel to it, like just mm. not exacerbating it. Like, yep, they're there. We're just going to move on from it. We're going to think about something else and focus on the race. Exactly. Cause it's very easy to get anxious and let your head rule you instead of, you know, you ruling your own mind. Um, so that's kind of one way that I allow that to not happen. Yeah. I love that. That's so good. What do you think has been one of your biggest challenges that you've faced so far? I did have a pretty bad shoulder injury when I was younger and it only, I could only kick for about, I would say upwards of eight months. Um, I had a bursitis tendonitis and a small tear in my right shoulder. So the recovery for that was pretty rough because I was super keen to get back in the water and um, you know, I'd get in too soon and then do damage again and have to have recovery. And it was like a cycle for about almost a year but at that eight month mark, I'd kind of gotten my head around the rest I needed and the, the change I needed to, um, you know, put the, the recovery into effect in training. Uh, so that was a pretty big setback, especially mentally. Um, that one, you know, swimmers value their sport. It's like, it's almost your highest priority when you're an elite athlete and being able to like, put that aside and focus on other things while you're injured or, you know, shift your mentality to, you know, oh, it's okay if I'm just getting back into it, just recovering, just like that's a very hard thing to do, especially I was 15, 16, I think. So that really knocked me around a bit. It's just the mentality that comes with injury is sometimes a hard one to get over, but I'm, I'm through it. So it's all good. <laughs> Yeah, injuries are super tough. I mean, I'm injured at the moment and I'm definitely still very much in it and I don't know when the end is going to come. Um, and it is super tough. It is really hard and I think people forget, although, yes, it's a physical injury, it takes just as much on you mentally as anything yeah, else. And definitely. as you said, like trying to wrap your head around like, okay, I need to pull back here because I will do further damage and this is going to extend my recovery and it's just going to be an endless cycle. Exactly. Yeah. And I got stuck in that cycle for a little bit until I got pulled out of it by one of my physios who basically sh like shook me and was like, you need to rest. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I'll listen. Um, yeah. But uh, 
it's the uncertainty that came with it is I think what really got to me yeah and I can almost see like the uncertainty I mean obviously it's been different in Brisbane to what it has been in Melbourne but the uncertainty of COVID and how that impacts training and not knowing what's going to happen and you know things have been so good for you guys in Queensland and to go into a a snap lockdown it's hard it's like oh my god okay what am I going to do now how do I wrap my head around this when are we going to be able to go back yeah Um, how have you managed that particularly I mean last year with the longer lockdown yeah so last year we had three months out of the water and so my training regime turned into swimming off a bungee in the backyard pool or my neighbor's backyard pool because <laughs> unfortunately we filled ours in three months before lockdown so we no longer had a pool this is the worst timing in the world oh, no. <laughs> um, yeah so I borrowed my neighbor's pool um I went for runs which if any swimmer is listening they'll know how fun running can be when you're uncoordinated (laughs) um especially with bad knees as a breaststroker and then I did a couple of ocean swims but I'm not the biggest fan of the ocean unless it's just I get to just float so um you know it was tough it was winter as well so it was freezing um but yeah it's just I got into the mental state of I just have to keep going because we are going to come back and I I don't want to come back super unfit so that's kind of where I um, got my headspace and I was just, just push through. This is temporary. This is temporary. That turned into one of my mantras. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For three months. All good. Now we're through it. Um, the trial, the trials and the comps leading into Olympic trials, you know, there was so much uncertainty surrounding those as well. Um, but we all just had to train like they were still going ahead because now they have gone ahead. So Thank God everyone didn't just give up and throw in the towel and go, no, this is too annoying or anything like that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it does make it hard to plan. Like, how do I train for something that I don't even know if it's going to happen yet? Yeah, definitely. Um, How did you go at trials then? Like given, I mean, a bit of a different lead in, I guess is probably the best way to put it. Yeah, um, it's interesting. So I changed coaches about six months ago um, and I've had three major meets under my new coach. It's been a really good change for my my health and my happiness as well. Like I just, I need, I just, I'm someone who every now and then I just need a change. So needed this one. Yeah, so my best meet this year, it was actually nationals in April where I just dropped heaps of times off my PBs. I'm top eight in Australia. Um all that good stuff (laughs) Um, (laughs) then we had a Sydney open meet which was kind of like you just train through that one it was a target meet in case trials couldn't go ahead Um, but everyone was pretty smashed at that one to be honest and then trials I actually didn't hit my best times Um, I did take a lot of time off in April so being able to hit those times again I was within a second of them which I was happy with because like for my 200 I took off three seconds in April which is like a significant chunk of time yeah so then coming back that up again and do another PB three months later or two months later even so yeah but I I still had that expectation of my from of myself like I was expecting to go in and do PBs and make the A final and all those good things it didn't happen but it hasn't discouraged me from continuing swimming of course so I'm happy with it overall yeah, that's so good to hear that. Um, you spoke about transitioning clubs. What's that like? Interesting. Um, I swim at Rackley, so um, you can actually move pools without moving clubs. So it's good you don't have to buy all new team gear and everything. 
But yeah, I'm now, I moved from the centenary pool to the hibiscus pool. And it was an interesting transition. I actually took a month out of the water right after I left my old coach. I just, I needed a reset. So I just took that time. I knew I'd be better for it in the long run instead of powering through. My new squad has really welcomed me with open arms. It's been great to be there. And, you know, I've made a lot of good friends in my new squad. And I've also still got a lot of good friends from my old squad, which is nice. But yeah, it's just, it was an interesting time kind of with everything that was happening with COVID and, um, you know, we'd all just come back from into the pools, maybe July. And then I left that squad in around September. So I'd only been back with them properly for a couple of months before leaving properly. But yeah, I didn't mind the move I I like change and I embrace change so I wasn't too daunted by it but it is like leaving family so it was a bit hard to you know pack up and move when you've trained with these guys for six years and been under that coach for so long so yeah but I've got a new family now (laughs) yeah I definitely especially when you see them all day every day they do definitely become Mm. a second family and I've moved clubs before and I was at my club for eight years before I moved and so it it is hard to move but you also said in that that you embrace change that's amazing I've I hate change I (laughs) I find it so overwhelming (laughs) okay yeah that's okay like I just find like there's been a lot of changes in my life so I'm kind of used to it like for one we used to travel a lot as kids so it was like oh don't get used to staying in one place for too long because we're going to be over here or you're going to be sleeping over your cousins over here like there was no time to be attached. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's just, it's kind of just stayed with me. And I noticed that as a kid, every change that came never brought many negatives. It was more positive. So I just kind of jump into it. Why not? That's awesome that you have that attitude towards it. That's so good. Thank and you, you said also that before you, like when you did that transition, you took a month out to reset. What made you make that decision? Part of it was where I was at mentally. I just, I had become very stale in the sport um, in the last maybe two years. Like I wasn't hitting my best times. I wasn't loving training, which is a big thing for me as a trainer. I wasn't going to training with that same energy and that same enjoyment that I once had. Once had, And uh, I just kind of realized like I need to pull away from the sport to know if I want to go back. And I definitely am glad that I did because I know I want to be here more than ever. You know, swimming just has this pull. And I actually last night watched the Head Above Water, uh, not podcast, sorry, the Head Above Water um, docuseries on Amazon. And Bronte Campbell talks about the pull that swimming has quite in depth. And it's very interesting to kind of relate to that because it's never really been put into words, that feeling. Um, But yeah, she just kind of says that, you know, you're never going to be done. You're never going to be completed. Swimming's never going to feel finished, but you just need to, you need to finish your career at a time where you feel like you gave it your all. And I guess I wasn't at that spot and I wanted to come back. That's so awesome. I, I haven't seen it yet. It's definitely something that I want to watch, but the way that you articulated that and have interpreted that, that's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, it's a really good, I recommend. <laughs> yeah, it sounds it. I definitely need to get onto that. When, like you said, that you took time away because you needed it, you felt like you were a bit stuck. How do you go about that? Like, how do you recognize that's how you're feeling? And then how do you implement that change? So 
a lot of it was just how I was rocking up during about the last month or two to training at my old club. I just, I was very aware that I was not the same me from pre-COVID even. I just kind of noticed that, hey, I'm not enjoying this. I need to make a change. So I sat down with my coach and just told him that I need some time out of the water and that I was leaving and, you know, he took it well. And yeah, from there, I just had a month off. I reassessed during that month. So I basically sat down with myself and went, where am I at? Where do I want to be like in life, not just swimming in with everything? Like, What are my priorities? What have I got that's leading me to those priorities or ensuring I am prioritizing correctly? And another part of it was like when I'm out of the water for a long time, I get really jittery. So like if those like jitters didn't come back, I kind of knew that I was not as in love with the sport as I thought because, you know, I I'm, by the end of like a one or two week break, I'm usually itching to get back in the water, which is actually where I'm at now. We're having two weeks off after trying. <laughs> I'm like jittery in my seat, <laughs> like tapping my feet all the time. But yeah, uh, I just kind of saw all those signs and sat down with myself and made a plan. I actually got in contact with, my old, old coach from when I was like 10 to 12, who's been a big mentor in my life. And we had a chat as well. And he's like, he just said over and over again, he's like, whatever you do, don't quit swimming. Everyone quits when they're 20, 21. Don't quit swimming. Don't quit swimming. And I was like, okay, <laughs> like, got it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but so yeah, I um, made a plan with him. I actually went and swam with him for a couple of months before moving to my current club now, my current pool. So yeah, it was kind of nice to um, have the support of him and his team at uh, his pool uh, before moving and solidifying a spot at where I am now. Yeah, and it's so important to have that support around you. It's crucial, and especially when you have to make bigger decisions, it's really important to be able to bounce those ideas off someone else. Yeah, definitely. And like, he was really good. Like he... um, he, we had a lot of meetings. He was like, Tay, you can come in here. This is your halfway house for now. Cause I couldn't stay there because um, he has swimmers up to like a bronze or junior level. And I'm like the way it's broken down here. Like that's maybe he's got 15 year olds at most and I'm 21 and I'm swimming at trials. Like they're just going to States and nationals at this point, which is very exciting for them, but it means I have no yeah. one to train against. So he just said, come and swim when you want to swim like wherever, whatever, like just come get in the water. So I did that for a couple of months. We made a goal to do a PB at state sprints in February and we got that. And then after that, I moved, I got my confidence back. And after that, I moved to where I am now. To switch gears a little bit here, what mm-hmm. kind of impact do you think social media has? Oh, social media is an interesting one. Um, especially with all the hype that's just been posted everywhere with trials and things, you know, you've got everyone making their Olympic dreams, which is so exciting for them. And you can't take that away from them at all. And of course they want to celebrate that. And part of that these days is posting about it, which is like, you deserve it. So good on you. And then you've got the people who have just missed out and, you know, they're devastated by it because it's once every four years, this time five years. So it was even a longer wait. And, um, you know, they're seeing all these posts and I can just imagine how, it's affecting their mental health um, if they're really hard on themselves. I'm usually not so hard on myself. I kind of know where I'm at and I know that for me this year making the team was unrealistic, but I wanted, I did want to make that final in 200, but that didn't come about. 
but yeah, it's just, it's, it's amazing how as soon as you win, you're somebody and you could have won last year and come fourth this year and you're off the podium. So you're nobody like it's, it's so cutthroat in the media. And um, I love, I love seeing everyone's posts on social media. I think they're great. It's uh, the usual, I guess, um, you're only seeing the highlight reel. And I think that's fine, especially like, you know, if they're getting their Olympic dream, awesome. But there's all these people who haven't achieved that this time. And they're, it might be hard for them to sift through their social media and not be reminded of it for a few weeks, especially with Olympics around the corner now a few months. I guess it's just, I don't know, it's an interesting psychology of, you know, you've made it best you haven't and how people bounce back from that when they haven't. And it, social media really doesn't help with that, especially if you're avidly consuming a lot of it and you're confirming in your brain that, yes, you haven't made it. Yes, this is rough. Yes. Like another interesting thing, though, I find is just the media in general. I remember, I can't remember the swimmer and I can't remember the year, but there was a photo shoot done um, with the Australian Olympic team had already been announced and it was with a few of the swimmers or just Olympians maybe. And one of the girls had just put on a suit um, for the photo shoot, like a speedo suit or something. The media was calling her fat about three months or two months out from the Olympics. It was either London or Beijing. And I just could not believe that they had the audacity to call one of their top athletes fat when she's just in her race you know your lats we got a lot more muscle and a lot more skin around our lats and shoulder area so you know some stuff's going to stick out that's fine and they just laid into her like she wasn't fit she wasn't healthy she wasn't this and that and she was Australia's best I want to say breaststroker but I don't know I can't remember I just thought that was interesting because you know, if you read into the media and you're affected by it a lot, that could have really affected her and her self-confidence and her performance. It could have affected her performance at the Olympics. I don't think it did, but it could have. Yeah, absolutely. And we both know, like, those bathers are not forgiving at all. Like, there is no hiding. They are so skin tight that everything is going to pop out regardless of what your shape is. Oh, yeah, it doesn't matter. And as you're putting it on, you just feel so unfit, don't you? I was like, (laughs) oh, it just never feels like it's going to go up, does it? You never feel like you're going to get it on, but you always do. And you yeah. find boulders in places that you didn't know could even bulge because yeah. everything just comes yeah. out. Oh, definitely. It's like, I didn't know that, you know, I had like along my spine, like, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> when you've got the open back togs. Yeah. So I just thought it was astounding for a media outlet to be handing into one of their top athletes like that when she's literally in her work quote-unquote work clothes about to go and you know get medals for Australia I just found that really interesting yeah it's amazing and like you touched on before with how you know if someone doesn't make it or you know they could have been first one year and fourth the next and all of a sudden they're forgotten because they're not on that podium and it is hard and you know although they did everything they could and if they were to compete at the olympics they probably would still final and still perform really well but as you said it is cutthroat and it is harsh Mm. um and i think whilst it's important to be supportive of the people that do well and are happy with their achievements it can in some ways I guess almost be rubbed in faces of people that didn't make it like them constantly posting and whilst you don't want to take away from their happiness it is hard having that in your face all the time 
it is but I guess that's just part of it these days because that that can apply to everything you know if you're I don't know financially not as well off and you choose to follow people with luxury cars like you're rubbing it in your own face as well so like I think the best thing you yeah. can especially when you're in that mental state is to just stay off social media for a few days or, or a week or so like because that's just not what you need right after you've just given it your all and haven't achieved what you've wanted to achieve I definitely don't think it makes you any less successful um you know fourth at an Australian trials when our qualifying time pretty much makes you top eight in the world sorry like our Olympic qualifying time pretty much makes you top eight in the world that's a pretty high bar and everyone does rise to it or most do so to be just outside of that it's pretty devastating especially when that's your goal but there's always room for improvement I guess and you've just got to accept that you'll have next time or you know you've just got to power through how you're feeling because it does get better I will throw a question at you here based on what you said about the media and I guess yeah fat shaming um is probably the right term to use there what do you think is the relationship between sport I mean specifically swimming and body image in general um it's interesting like athletes are held to such like a standard of being a cardboard cut out of each other and so when someone's different they're not immediately included or supported or and I don't mean like of course if they make the team they're on the team but more socially and that's that's not saying that anyone's being catty or anything it's more of a societal standard that we have like we've had some bigger swimmers who you know they're just more stocky they're not as slender like they're still making the Australian team like you can't take that away from them because of how they look you know someone who stands out and I absolutely love this woman. She is such a role model is Brittany Elmsley. And, you know, all I'd say about Brit is she does not have the generic swimmer stereotyped body type that we have, but she has a swimmer's body. She's an Olympian. She's a medalist. Like you can't say she doesn't have a swimmer's body. Um, I think there's a lot of pressure put on it, especially like with the girls, the guys, I, I can't really comment on that because I'm one I'm not one (laughs) so um, it's a bit harder to be like I feel no but the girls like a big pressure you know you hear it around pool deck is everyone wants abs and that seems like you know you're a swimmer why wouldn't you have abs but um you know there's washboard cutout defined abs it's as a woman if we hold more fat so it is a lot harder to achieve that it's definitely still doable, but everybody's different. I don't think we should be discounting people's abilities based off of their aesthetics. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I think, I can't remember where I heard this or where I read it, but I've come across it at some point, is if you were to give the like the diet and the, the testing of the way we look to, um, I guess, a normal in quotations person, you'd be like, holy crap, like that's not healthy. You shouldn't be that strict. You shouldn't be scrutinizing your body in that way. Like that's not healthy. But yet as an athlete, that's normal. Yeah, it's normal. And it has led, you know, when, when it's gone to the extremes, it has led people to eating disorders and body dysmorphia and quitting the sport because of their diets or what they're told to eat or not eat. Um, especially when it starts really young, which is really upsetting um, because, you know, you're losing a lot of amazing athletes at such a young age who have a lot of potential. 
Um, it does also trickle into that mental health aspect as well of, you know, are you okay with dealing with what most swimmers have to put up with in terms of diet culture and stuff and, and dealing with the um, body image that comes along with that. I personally, I'm pretty not relaxed. I'm pretty stringent with my diet, but I'm relaxed in the sense of like, if someone wants to comment on my body, I'll go, cool, good on you, thanks. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think on TikTok the other day, someone actually thought I was a guy, so that's great. Thanks, TikTok. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, that's actually another factor of it is how masculine women's bodies are. You know, we lose, we don't, a lot of us, you know, you feel like a real fish out of water when you're glammed up in this dress and, you know, you're muscly. Mm. Sometimes you're musclier than your partner, which is like, cool. I think there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> um, your mates shouldn't judge you for that. But yeah, you know, there's always backlash on social media for athletes dressing up. It's like, oh, you look like a man, whatever. Like, cool. <laughs> I, that's never really affected me, but I know that it could definitely affect, especially the younger generation of athletes coming through. Not cool to be called that. For sure. Um, you've kind of said in there too that you, I mean, in a way, like water off a dock's back when things sort of get thrown your way. How do you handle expectations of, I guess, do you, are they coming mainly from yourself or do you think they're external? I have always believed that I always set the highest bar for myself and always be my greatest critic. Those expectations kind of shift depending on a what part of the season it is and b just honestly how my mental health is at the time like I do know that sometimes I need to be more casual with my diet just to have a bit of life enjoyment and then you know after a night of like I don't know, burgers and chips or whatever just go back into a strict diet just to have that out and it's not like I'm binging or anything or I'm having a cheat day or whatever it's just like once in a blue moon it's like hey no I want some ice cream or I want this or I want that. And it just keeps me happy. Like if there's one thing I've learned over the past year and a half, it's that I train and race best when I'm happy. So um, my expectation that I've set for myself is to remain happiest in the sport for longest. That's my big thing at the moment. In terms of my actual diet, um, <laughs> I'm gluten and lactose intolerant, so <laughs> it's very um, <laughs> annoying. Uh, but uh, yeah, like if I want to have a bit of ice cream or I want to have a bit of bread or something, it's like it's not going to kill me. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a really important message that you said there is that you train and race best when you're happiest. And that's a really important goal to have. And I think that is such an important message for everyone to take on board as well. Yeah, definitely. I hope that, you know, everyone can kind of get to that state of mind because there's nothing worse than doing something when you hate it. Yeah, absolutely. What kind of impact do you think sport has had on your life then? And do you think that has changed or do you reckon it stayed the same? I'd say one of the main impacts is that it was my release and my escape from everything else going on in life. Like I could just go to the pool, no external worries. Doesn't matter if I've got, as a kid, if I've got homework due or if, you know, so-and-so is not talking to me or whatever's going on. I could just get in the water and those issues won't affect my times and I don't have to think about those things until I get out of the water. Like it was my Zen space. 
as I've grown up, it's become more a lot more performance-based and I've actually enjoyed that challenge as well. You know, like it's very, I need to hit this time to go this fast in a race and I need to do this to do this. And I've really enjoyed that as well. It's really transitioned from um, being the base of like, I guess my mental health really, like who knows what, who I need, have needed to see if I didn't swim. <laughs> um and it's set up a really good foundation for discipline and account- being accountable. And, you know, like they say that a lot of successful people do start as swimmers because they have those foundations in place. And it's definitely helped me in terms of uni, like even just my headspace, I feel fresh in the morning after a session and then I can go to uni for three hours and, you know, feel like I accomplished something before I've even set foot in the campus. So that's really helped as well. Aside from that, it's just the social side, I guess, which is also really important. Like having the friends um, training is really good. You know, a bit of banter, a bit of, you know, you can laugh between the hard sets, which is important to keep you there. And yeah, I think that's kind of sums it up. Yeah, absolutely. And I think swimming is very much um, such a high demand, especially at such a young age. How did you go managing that with school and even now with uni? How do you find that life balance? As a kid, I was lucky enough to have the support from my parents. Um, You know, dad would get up with me at 4.30 and then go to work early after dropping me at training for his own gym stuff so that he wasn't wasting the three hours of his morning um the same in high school with mum uh I could drive to the pool we'd leave my car at the pool all day she'd come through drop my brother and I to um school with breakfast in the car so like I was very lucky to have all that support um the balance during school was interesting because um I was you know training morning and night and uh that can be very taxing very demanding but I just you know, it really allows you to become very disciplined and prioritize things correctly. So it's like I train, I go to school, I train, I do my homework, I sleep. And that was my day. Those were my days, five days a week. Um, Saturday mornings, obviously different, no school, all that jazz. Um, as I got older, you know, you start getting a bit more social and everything. Like I'm not a big partier, so it wasn't too much of an impact for me. With uni, the uni's been really supportive in uh, my career as an athlete and allowing me to defer exams and extend assignments and things when needed. Like we've just had, for example, three back-to-back competitions and I was at Threadbow for 10 days on an altitude camp. So I've actually missed more of this semester in person than I have been at the semester, <laughs> at the camp <laughs> of the semester. So this semester has been a struggle to say the least, um, but it was a very rare occasion that uh, season of swimming was going to be like this. So hopefully it'll be a bit more balanced out in the future. But yeah, no, uni's been great. Uh, the elite athlete programs at most unis really do support you. And another big thing is just I live by my Google calendar. <laughs> so I, I really, I just time block everything that I need to do. And, you know, I, I do limit my social uh, capacity during hard training weeks because I am a bit of an introvert and I need to recover. <laughs> so I need that time away from people to like just, you know, clean my room, reset for the next week, read a book, sleep, nap, napping. Oh, 
can't underestimate a good nap. How good snaps? Absolutely not. Yeah, it's just, and having a lot of supportive people around you helps as well. Like not just family, but my friends, like they understand, you know, if I'm going to leave a party at eight o'clock because I've got training the next day, they will start the party earlier at six so that I can be there for a couple of hours or they just get it and they go, okay, you've only been here for an hour, half an hour. Cool. Good to see you. Have fun at training the next day. It's really, I'm very uh, blessed to be surrounded by the people that I am surrounded by. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it makes such a big difference to having that support network and having those people around you that understand because it, it does become very isolating if you don't have that understanding with the people around you. Definitely, yeah. Um, it, it can always be hard, especially, um, I know my partner, Dean, he's very supportive of me, but it was a bit hard for him to understand just, how significant the demands of my sport were because he you know he'd be like come over after training and we'll go you know on a date when we first started dating and I'm like no I need food and sleep like (laughs) (laughs) and he just didn't understand that because he's a night owl and he can survive on like four hours sleep which I just can't do I'm not a functioning human being unless I get I guess seven I think that's pretty standard for most of us too I think we all need our sleep and I think the pretty standard routine is training sleep eat and repeat that's pretty much the cycle (laughs) definitely (laughs) um so you've spoken about a lot of things that you've done to date what would you say is one of your biggest achievements I would say performance wise I was uh invited onto the state team short course uh Queensland team in I think 2016 now so a while ago Um, And I just really surprised myself at that meet. I came top three in all my races and um, did PBs, which I was really happy with. It was also my first team away. And I was just really proud of the fact that I was able to step up and really race hard and kind of put my name out there a bit. No one had any expectations on me going in. I was kind of, you know, in lane eight, not top three, not picked to win, nothing like that. Um, But for all three races I did, so I was very happy. I think I won... I maybe even won the 100 from heat two, <laughs> which was <laughs> just a shock. No, everyone was like, uh, what? Um, yeah, that was a pretty exciting moment. Since then, um, I've, I've been to two Olympic trials. Uh, I haven't performed my best at either of them, but it is just such a privilege to be able to even race at an Olympic trials. And I just say one of my biggest achievements is just honestly loving the sport. It's so easy to turn the sport against you or turn yourself against the sport and continue doing it. And I'm really proud of the fact that I haven't done that. You know, a lot of people do say, I need to quit before I hate it (laughs) because it is such a demanding space. And, you know, when your head's in the water, it's really not a social sport. And that's why it's important to have a good team around you who's going through the same thing. But yeah, like just still enjoying it, still loving it. Um, still got goals you know the next three years are pretty big years racing wise we've got a come games we've got a world champs or two world champs and then another olympics so um, that's kind of where I want to see myself go Um, I know I've got a long way to go but I believe I can do it and we'll just keep enjoying it and see what happens I think that's so important so to finish I like to do three questions um the first one which I feel like you've kind of answered at the same time is what is something that you're most proud of about yourself yeah probably just the happiness factor um and I guess also um understanding when 
is a good time to actually change and um, initiate change because it is hard leaving an old squad and finding a new one. Um, it is very, you know, you throw yourself out there to coaches and go, who wants me a little bit? So I'm very proud that I did push through with that and stick to that and not continue kind of getting to the place where I may have actually stopped enjoying the sport. So yeah, probably just that. Yeah, absolutely something to be proud of too. Um, what is your favorite quote or the best piece of advice that you've been given? Oh, that's hard. I'm an overthinker. So one of them right before I race is my coach just gives me one thing to focus on for the whole race and it'll just play over and over in my head. Um, when I'm doing a 50 at nationals, it was lunge. I just had to think lunge, lunge forward, lunge forward, lunge forward. Or when I was doing the 200, it was build. I just think build, build, build over and over. It just kind of centers my focus onto one thing. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not looking around going, oh, where are they in the race? Or, oh, you know, how am I doing? What's my time? What do I, what do I feel like I'm swimming? I just need to swim. So that's definitely been uh, what's helped me the most. Um, in terms of like a quote though, I don't know. That's a hard one. I don't think I, I like, I don't really keep a, a quote in my head that I refer to often. I think I just take in a lot of information and let it all influence me at the time and then it kind of goes when it needs to go yeah I still think the advice though and how you center yourself before a race I think is still awesome because it's very easy to get caught up in what everybody else is doing and then forget the fact that you have to do your own race because you know you've done all the work and all the training leading in and you have to go on that not you can't control what the person in the lane next to you is doing yeah definitely the only thing you control is you and when you're swimming outdoors, the only thing you can control is you can't control <laughs> the weather. <laughs> no. So the last thing is, do you have any tips for those that are listening? I think just no matter the sport that you are doing, participating in, competing in, training for, um, just make sure you love it. Just and give it your all. Like if you need to drop back a uni subject or a shift at work or whatever it is, say no to an outing because you believe that you can take it further, do it because you're not going to regret it. So many important things that I think you've brought up in this chat. And so thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Renee. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Perfectly Flawed podcast. If you would like to stay up to date for when the next episode is being released, you can follow myself on Instagram at Renee Fox, or you can follow the podcast at perfectly underscore flawed underscore podcast. I'll chat to you next time. Bye.